You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Welcome to the Riverwise Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring you the stories and voices of those fighting for self-sufficiency and self-reliance in and around the city of Detroit. We've been doing this for a year now. I am Amas Muhammad, and as always, I am joined by the managing editor of the Riverwise magazine, Mr. Eric Campbell. Eric, how's it feel about a year? It's, <laughs> it went by quickly. Um, but I'm feeling good about it. I feel like, you know, we've, uh, we've put in a little time, um, you know, things were a little sporadic as far as our schedule this summer, but we hope to, in 2021, uh, uh, get things to the point where we can get one of these, one podcast out a week, I think is the goal at this point. I don't know. It sounds like a lot at this, you know, with where we're at. Um, but that's the goal. I mean, we definitely have done enough where we see the value. In uh, you know extending the conversations that we've had in the magazine and giving folks an opportunity, a platform to um, to express their thoughts about um, grassroots organizing in the city of Detroit, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing uh, to doing many more with you, Amas. Thank you for being here, man, for the year. It's been good. Yeah, I mean, it's been fantastic. It's been it's been incredible on my end, um, being a part of, you know, the living conversation. You know, it really mm-hmm. is a living conversation. And, you know, uh, I know both you and I on our own personal lives and every, our listeners as well have experienced this past year and this past summer uh, and being able to be involved in something that is taking the conversation, experiencing it, taking a pause, going deeper, you know, talking to the folks who are on the ground and doing the work and have been doing the work, it is really fulfilling. And it does, you know, provide a level of ballast in such a turbulent time. Yeah, And as, and as we move forward, you know, what, the, you know, what this is meant to be as well is, you know, a format in which we can be a little bit more timely with the issues as well. You know, it's a challenge uh, with the magazine, it being a quarterly magazine we come out four times a year and it's been a challenge you know kind of keeping up with things as they happen especially this year with so much uh that's occurred in the economic and political realm um the podcast will give us an opportunity to be a little more timely with some of those issues um you know as, as we get to whether it's two times a month or four times a month we'll be able to really you know kind of uh, sit on some issues as they as they occur mm-hmm. so um yeah that's kind of always that's that's been the focus yeah let me ask you, I mean, how does it feel? I know at being so you're more engaged. I mean, you're absolutely engaged. This podcast couldn't happen without you. But how does it feel pulling the stories and balancing with the quarterly and the podcast? Is that if you felt that, you know, the, you know, you felt good about pulling some of those stories and elongating them and stretching them out? Has it felt yeah. good? I mean, there's only so much space in the magazine. And uh, I think we've we've done uh, we've done a good job of trying to um, uh, give stories the space they need. I'm thinking of the story we're going to, we're going to talk about today, the, the makerspace. You know, that was that, that was a we did a, a full feature on um, Bart Eddy, uh, Mike Reed, and the kids at the uh, Brightmore uh, Community High School, or Detroit Community High in Brightmore. I'm sorry, and um, you know that's that's a big story. That's there's a lot that we can pull from that story. There's a lot to unpack. So it's great to be able to have another format in which to you know look at it uh, further, but also look at it from a different, slightly different perspective in conversation you know as opposed to you know reading it off the page so yeah i think i think as we move forward you know we've got the magazine we've been doing some writing workshops i'll hopefully get back to those um last year was big for the writing workshops and community conversations we want to get back to the community conversations which kind of took a back seat during the pandemic yeah the podcast um you know also you know people being able to record at home um being able to chime in at home through the format that we're using you know that's also been a plus you know during the pandemic and people aren't, aren't meeting in space as much so uh yeah there's all sorts of all sorts of positives to the to the podcast and we uh, we hope to uh take full advantage in 2021 and beyond 
I think it is interesting, uh, you know, about the episode we're about to show and, and kind of thinking about the flexibility of a podcast and, and telling stories and how they live continually, you know, even after we, you know, are done recording, these stories continue on and, and it is, you know, how we do our best to keep up and, and find that narrative streak. And, and in this year, things have all, you know, we've seen so many things come to a head. And I think something that you and I have both talked about a lot on Mike and off is the, the effect a pandemic has on children and education. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it specifically has been, you know, exacerbated from clearly this intense uh, global catastrophe, but the idea and the, the problems and the innovations in education has been happening long before that. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, we've had to pivot in so many different ways throughout this year. Um, certainly education uh, and, and schools is one of the biggest uh, areas in which, you know, we've had to adjust academically and socially. Um, and, you know, looking at looking at the Detroit Community High Makerspace reminds us that, you know, there are some issues that we were working on pre-pandemic that have to do with taking education and taking institutions of education and combining them with, you know, issues that are taking place in the neighborhoods in which those institutions live. And um, this is a great opportunity with what they're doing at, at the, in, in Brightmore to, within the pandemic, pandemic, within the pandemic realm or within, you know, or, or outside of it, have that conversation about how we approach education as a form of activism, as a form of are included with, you know, what's going on in neighborhoods, the, the, the struggle that's going on in neighborhoods and, and allowing kids to be able to look outside of the textbook and, and into, you know, what's happening in their real lives. And I think I, I, I think it's interesting. I'm really glad that we're finally, and I say finally because we, we started this story uh, almost a year ago and we're, you know, we've come back to it time and again and we're finally getting it out to our listeners. But I think it's interesting because we began this conversation pre-pandemic. And we, we began this conversation before mm-hmm. this, you know, even these really, this harsh light that was shined on the inequities of education and the, and the way that we were really letting um, many members of our communities down. And it, it was inspiring then, and it is continuing to be inspiring that there is someone like Bart Eddy, that there is a place like the uh, Detroit Community High School in Brightmore that is, that is offering not only uh, education to those who desire it, but also providing tools and areas and spaces that will educate them to yeah, exist outside of just a classroom, not teaching them to a book, but to, you know, be lifelong learners and to, you know, gain skills to enhance and better their own lives. Yeah. In, in addition to, you know, the intergenerational education, which is happening in addition to you know, the, the skill sharing um, in addition to, you know, the kids learning um, things that apply to their neighborhoods, you know, the, the makerspace has also been a center for, you know, community to take place. I mean, the schools is, is that as well, but in the makerspace even more so has been a place where kids, especially on the weekends, can go to, you know, in their case, you know, learn about wood carving, learn about bike uh, repair, um, so it's, it's just been a space of, of learning in the sense that, you know, kids can take it back home and apply it, apply it immediately. And, um, you know, for those reasons or more, yeah, this was a story that, you know, we, we, we first started uh, working on a year ago. You know, some other stories have come up that we felt maybe, you know, were more timely. But this, you know, what, what folks are about to hear and the lessons that these kids are learning, you know, um, the importance of the story is not, not going away. So we felt we had to... Um, even a year later, make sure that we we get the story right and um, we presented on the podcast. Yeah, um, uh, just before we dive in, I mean, it's we're we're going to be presenting uh, in a first time a two parter. Uh, we're going to have uh, we're going to hear first from uh, two conversations that you and I had with the uh, I, what what is Bart Eddie? He's the founder, the heart, the. He's definitely, yeah, he's definitely the core, um, one of the cores of the makerspace. He's one of the founders of the school, actually. Yeah. Detroit Community High School. And the makerspace has been around um, as part of the school, I think, almost from the beginning. We're going back um, a good 20 years at least. Um, We actually, um, 
got a chance to, uh, this is kind of, I'm trying to come up with the year, 2010, 11, was when we first, uh, when I was with the Michigan Citizen, we actually had the kids make a amazing wood sign for the, um, for the newspaper, um, for the building. Um, they were doing mostly woodwork um, around that time and, and bike repairs where, as well. Um, the program has expanded as far as the type of projects that they're working on. But um, yeah, they've been doing their thing for, for quite a while. And um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a part, you know, the makerspace is part of the school, obviously, but it's also, you know, a, a, an enormous part of the, the community as well in that part of Brightmore. Bart, Eddie, I've known my whole life. My mom actually many years ago worked at the community high school. Um, she, so, so I've been adjacent and entwined and it's really amazing to hear how, and what we're going to hear in this first episode is much, it's, it's really about how Bart feels about the school, why it exists. Mm -hmm. He tells a lot about his ideas on educating children, where pedagogy is, where it should be going. Um, outside of the makerspace itself, really what he gets into is just how we look at education, how we teach our children, um, and, and, and where it can be and how he, you know, he's making it the best he can, um, in this institution at this time. Yeah, he's, uh, he does, uh, he's, he's been, he's been doing this for a while. He's very articulate about, you know, the type of education that, um, they're pursuing, um, at Detroit Community High and in the makerspace. Um, and um, yeah, it's always a pleasure to talk to talk to Bart. Well, yeah, I'm a, I'm excited. Um, he's so passionate. He's so powerful, and and it's really uplifting. If anyone who is interested in you know alternative education, radical teaching, and radical pedagogy, this is someone to pay attention to and seek out and visit and support. So uh, I'm really excited for you guys to listen and and let's let's take it away. All right. All right. So I'm Bart Eddy, the uh, co-founder of Detroit Community Schools, uh, Sunbridge International Collaborative, and I guess you could say program director of the Brightmore Makerspace. And I should go back just a little bit, and I'll make the history very brief, but we started, we opened Detroit Community High School in um, 1997 uh, with the intention and idea of becoming really connected with the community and embedded in the community. But of course, in starting a school, <laughs> we were confronted with many other things, and especially because um, this is not a private school. We had to conform to state standards and so on, which was an enormous surprise to us, but something we had to get used to. Um, so over the course of the years, we, um, we had embedded within the school a woodworking program, a metalwork program, a ceramics program, um, gardening, uh, and so on. And this was all embedded within the curriculum. And then, of course, we ran into No Child Left Behind and then Race to the Top. So this meant that at a certain point, um, testing became the number one issue for the school. And the high school, at a certain point, 2009, I think it was, um, went down the tube in regard to testing. And the state came in and said that they were going to, um, uh, you know, put us on, um, what did they call it at the time? And, and, so many and, different things, but probation? Yeah, yeah, a, a probation. So we had to get it together. On, Unfortunately, at that time, um, it meant that the hands-on work that we were so embedded with in the school and the artistic work was pushed into the background and essentially out of out the door of the regular curriculum. And you know, having been part of uh, the Waldorf education program and understanding, you know, that it's essential to educate the thinking, feeling, the willing, the academic, the artistic, and practical our question became, how do we keep it alive? Um, so there were major changes within the school. My role completely changed in relationship to the school with the one question 
for myself, really, how do we keep the arts and the hands-on alive? And fortunately, I have to say that there were many young people in the school who wanted to keep it alive with us. And we were able to do this, first of all, by connecting with the city and becoming involved in the summer youth employment programs. And at a certain point, after having done that for a couple of summers, um, we decided, okay, let's bring the wood shop back. So we took over an abandoned garage in Brightmoor. And this is where we began to handcraft uh, wooden signs. And one thing led to another. We came back in the fall, and then suddenly people were appearing and said, how can we order a sign? Yeah, and I think I said it in the article. <laughs> you can order a sign. It's going to cost you something, though. And so we began what we call curbside economics and entrepreneurship out of an abandoned garage in Brightmoor. And one thing led to the next. The learning over that time is really embedded in the, um, the self-development of the young person, I would say, through the acquisition of artistic and hands-on skills. So the definition, my definition, of, uh, and others, I think, too, of a maker space is not only a place where a young person can come and begin to make things with their hands or do things artistically. It's a place where they come to begin to fashion their own identity. And that's how we look at all of the young people that come to us. As a matter of fact, um, over the years, having taught over the years now, the, the true purpose of education is to awaken the gifts in our young people. So this idea of fashioning identity means that a craft worker such as Mike or Lachey and Tanay, instead of standing above the students, we stand next to each other. In this way, there's a heart-to-heart -heart interchange. Well, we don't say it like that to mm -hmm. them. You know, it isn't going to work that way. But one thing we do recognize is this. When a kid does something well and they do it beautifully, they fall in love with their work. Mm -hmm. And there's so little love within the school system within the community, within public education. Mm -hmm. And I do have to add one more thing about this at the moment, that this idea of punishing third graders by keeping them back is not going to serve this community well. We live in trauma-based communities. What is the message that will go toward the young child in that regard? And you can go on up the board with that. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is going to go off to college, for sure. Mm -hmm. We know that. Mm -hmm. But there are multiple ways of learning at the same time. Young people are tired of sitting in classrooms and being talked to. We believe that our youth are the ones who are going to impact the future, who are going to change the future, and are going to be able to do what us adults have not been able to do. And that's transform our communities and ourselves in the process. Mm -hmm. So that's a brief introduction. <laughs> um, we talked about, actually we were talking about it just a second ago, the idea that um, in addition to uh, how you've characterized you know, the transformation that can take place within a space such as the makerspace, um, and this is closely related, how the makerspace can be a place where kids can find now not just different different skills that they can develop but skills that they can develop and apply maybe more immediately to the world around them I, I, I don't overuse the word community I've been using yeah. that word a lot but let's just say the world around them they, they can take those skills out from the space maybe and I just wanted to get your perspective on that and if uh, you find that's that's well, the case I'd have to say first of all you know we're not training kids. This is not a vocational program mm -hmm. in that sense. Mm -hmm. This is, um, I mean, it's sometimes we've called it entrepreneurship in action in a way. It's an opportunity to begin to awaken, you know, one's imaginative capacities. And by developing an imagination, by bringing 
you know, many people, you know, into our situation, such as yourselves and others as well, who know about the community, mm -hmm. then kids can begin to step into their consciousness of what's going on, mm -hmm. not only locally, but globally as well. Mm -hmm. And this has been our connection with China, um, Japan, and now Kenya, too. So this idea of expanding horizons of our youth is so important. The maker space is like that little seed where it can begin to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, honestly, it's a long-term process, isn't it? This is a real step, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Victory, shall we say. <laughs> yeah. It's the kind of stuff that keeps us going, really. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, that was not, when I was reading the article and going over this, I was curious as to the funding in this, the, of like the partnership for the makerspace and the things that you do and, and the opportunities for these young people. Um, could you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, and, and I think that will speak to kind of the viability of these projects specifically as well. Sure. Well, we have, we, number one, we have our own um, nonprofit organization, which is outside the school and outside our, our other partners. And that's called the Sunbridge International Collaborative. So I try to raise money um, to operate Brightmore Maker Space programs through that. That's one source of uh, funding. It's a small amount of funding since it's a small nonprofit. You know, it's not going to get community foundation funds where you have to have a hundred and hundred thousand plus yearly budget. But our other partner that has been really essential in this regard has been the University of Michigan Stamp School of Art and Design and the funding that they've been able to bring in. It's about a 50-50 proposition. They can raise the larger grants. That's been very, very helpful. Um, we do have a larger future question, and that is the sustainability of the entire program. You know, it, it, as we've said, um, with the kids that we've been working with, and, and some of them who are out of school, that are with us, we can only really provide a secondary source of income for them. It's not something that they can step into and do fully yet because we can't support them. We don't have, you know, the full outreach into the community. So, um, as you saw in there, we're starting um, probably the tiny house program. Maybe this is an avenue for us in the future. Maybe bikes is an avenue. I'm all talking about creating a, a business, businesses, community production, mm -hmm. just like mm -hmm. you know the Bog Center has been talking about. So we're on kind of this threshold of um, community production. How do we do this? Um, who would be interested in helping get us started in that regard? And then, if we can uh, do that in a more sustainable way, we can. As you probably know, there are so many 18 to 24 year olds who are just floating around out there um, with nothing to do um, or, or wanting to do something. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to do something. Mm -hmm. That's what work is all about, doing something meaningful with your life. And everyone wants to do that. So those would be some of our next steps. Yeah, that we're at the threshold now. Mm -hmm. yeah. We've touched on it, but I just, I just, I think that's kind of the crux of the story for me. One of the, one of the main things is that the potential that this has to, you know, not just create transformation in the kids, but you know, bring community together around this issue. And how, and how the kids are able to now, you know, come out of the maker space with not just the skills, not just the problem solving, but actually attention to these social issues that the waters, that the water station specifically addresses. Um, was there a question? I'm sorry. Is there a question in there somewhere? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no. I well, I'm, I'm thinking about what we're going to, what we're attempting to do now will certainly help with this. One of the big things with the kids is that um, you know they're very social, very vocal yeah. with one another, um, but they don't believe yet. Um, some of them do, but they don't believe yet that they have the knowledge to be able to describe in a very clear way. Uh, in a cognitive way, what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that we've been working very hard with them. I mean, Mike, all the time, in discussions with the kids, trying to pull, trying to get them. Some of them get that they hear one another, and you know, then you begin to realize, uh, okay, 
So we get another element here. We've got a young person who's able to talk about the work that they're doing and the meaning behind it. So we also try to, um, we always invite them to come and speak at community events, more so than ourselves. It's more important. People don't want to hear us. It's just like, you know, I can do woodworking, but who's going to buy a sign from me? I can make some pretty beautiful signs, <laughs> but they're going to buy a sign from Tanay, mm -hmm. and they're going to they're going to get a shirt from Diallo, and they're going to take um, maybe they'll buy a dog house that Kivana has made. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not going to buy my dog house, mm -hmm. but what we're trying to do is um, bring another component into the program. So just just to say, we are attempting to get um, an elective credit towards high school graduation into the program, which we don't have now. Um, at the same time, they are receiving a stipend to work with us, and we all, they also get community service credit hours. Yeah. So we'll, again, bring three aspects into the program. If the board um, will allow us to have the elective credit, and for that, we have to have a connection with English language arts. We want to start our own blog that would certify it. I have reactivated my old teaching certificate mm -hmm. for a full year <laughs> permit, <laughs> long expired, and, and we would use as a framework the ideas around the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And we would direct ourselves, you know, I mean, the prime, not only this global idea, but what are the issues in the community? So we would want to bring people such as yourselves in, you know, to talk with the kids, to try to develop conversations in here and there. It's just really, really important. And then be able to take that um, back out into the community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's what I wanted to say. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs>
organization and experiential learning organization and with many, many practical activities that didn't quite fit. So we worked it out with the school to where we could work directly with small numbers of our young people. So we operated during this summer and continue to operate the bike program for five youth and our building construction program for five youth. So we're working with 10 kids. We are paying them GDYT, uh, Grow Detroit Young Talent, uh, only paid for the online platform. So we had to use other funding resources to pay our youth to, or stipend them, you might say, work and train with us from the summer onward. So really, I continue to do that. It's um, you know, a wonderful opportunity to be able to see young people again and have us all being able to work together, but of course, practicing social distancing at the same time. So this this is really what we've uh, been up to. And I can tell a little bit more, but maybe I'll stop right here about some of the big projects we're into at the moment. Yeah, if, if I can jump in, I just want to uh, clarify, because um, we, you know, the times we've been over at the school, it's been during the school year. And um, I think I heard you say that the, the summer program that you guys are engaged in or were engaged in this past summer is a continuation of a summer program that's been ongoing. I don't, I don't know if I was aware of that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, first of all, let, let me begin by saying that, um, and, and I think that you, you did part of the story when you were here, that three of us were planning to head to uh, Kenya, to Nairobi, to install a water purification system That's right. there, uh, particularly using a dual UV filtration system that we experimented in that we had developed here. And as it turned out, we were to leave on April 1st. That's the same time that Kenya closed their borders. And we were, of course, already closed then as well. So that trip was totally put off and canceled. And as a matter of fact, I picked up uh, a little bout of COVID oh, myself. So, oh man, uh, it all every everything came mm -hmm. to a halt at that period of time. Um, but we had, uh, you know, we've continued with this idea that our our first installation or or a rebuilt installation would um, take place at Baber Memorial AME. And so we're all set to uh, go with that. This is uh, Larry, Pastor Larry Simmons' church down the street from us. And we were able, through our partnership with the uh, University of Michigan, and really a great grant that we got, got from, from the Community Foundation of Southeast Michigan, we're in process of building um, three outdoor pavilion-like structures. <laughs> um, we don't have the final design on that, but we're working on a design that will be um, more or less like an outdoor classroom mm -hmm. space. Just like Detroit Walder mm -hmm. School has been able mm -hmm. to do. A very, very unique situation. Um, and I can say more about that later, but in one and possibly more of these units, um, the pavilion-like structures will be a water purification unit. It will also be uh, an ex a, a stationary bike exercise and repair station. Um, mm. We'll probably have maybe have a community-wide mesh network uh, interconnected with that as well, and it probably at the very least. Uh, a pedal-powered uh, generation system to where kids can at least charge their cell phone mm -hmm. when they come by. That sounds great. Depending on what the, the neighborhood wants, uh, and it might be uh, different for each of the three neighborhoods we're working here in Brightmoor, it will, it will, uh, we will we'll see what they want. And um, so maybe there'll be some additional things like a, a small little workbench inside these pavilions where 
outdoor and maker woodworking right. can be. And I just, just mentioned in addition that this was really an opportunity to uh, learn together what social entrepreneurship mm-hmm. truly means. And that, mm-hmm. in that sense, it is to, you know, recognize a direct community need. And rather than waiting, you know, for the government to intervene and do something, which we know takes a very, very long time saying, asking ourselves, what can we do? Water have been shut off. Okay. Let's supply mm-hmm. water to people in the community. Yeah. And, and if we can. So it, it's, it's another uh, direct way of saying that um, everything is back in our own hands at the moment. Um, we mm-hmm. together as a community, we're going to have to figure out a way to get through this. And the more that we can do it as a community effort, the better we'll be. Just coming back to just one more short little point here that I think that this is all part of uh, the lesson of this planetary initiation that we're undergoing. Yeah, and it plays it plays into, you know, uh, electoral politics and, you know, the failure of our leadership, even to provide basic necessities. It's an opportunity for us in the community to kind of step in and look at these and look at, uh, you know, these transformational projects and, 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 and build the capacity to, you know, forward and 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 build our quality of life, uh, even when it comes to things like clean water, which you know is traditionally something that you know we think of as, you know, local uh, political leadership or local uh, um, systems taking care of for us. It's, I mean, the fact that you guys are hands on with it is amazing and pushes us forward into, you know, a, a better a better place, a better community. Yeah, thank you, and. Um... I mean, the other looking further outward at the moment can can really say that uh, it's been so difficult for our young people to learn their lessons mm. online. There yeah. Are, are yeah. Just, there is. It's not working. It's it's as simple as that. For it might work, but by and large, for many many young people it does not work because they need the friendships they need the social interaction they need to learn to work together and Mm -hmm. so this is this is an exceedingly difficult time um that goes right back and affects the health as well so this this whole idea of of making a step that uh, i just have to mention detroit detroit walter school did so that they're Students can actually be in school with one another or to create what a mass 14 outdoor um, learning. Yeah, there are, there are. So we have there are eight grades and then there are five. Five early childhood. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's amazing. And hopefully we can do some of that. And you see this really comes into this whole idea of um, mm. a school mm-hmm. of the future. Yeah, that's something that when Eric and I, you know, reconnected and started talking about this, something I brought up is when we first started this story, I mean, it really was focusing on kind of that electoral power and the lack of leadership and how Detroit has struggled with the uh, water deprivation, how that is, it, it is such an incredibly huge issue. And this, you know, even then I was excited, not only because the makerspace provided an avenue to find community-based solutions for that, but also thinking about self-sustainability and on a larger scale and, you know, focusing on how we, you know, bring back some of that power into our own hands um, in creative and positive and engaging ways within our own communities and looking at what's happening now and how places like your school and the Waldorf school are tackling, you know, succeeding and powering within that, like how that now will like dramatically change what happens when we are, you know, things come back to quote unquote normal and how you've already been setting that groundwork with young people in a makerspace to start just normalizing flexibility, innovation, creation in the face of these, you know, Wildly yeah, the dynamic pandemic, you know, it's situation. throughout the summer and school year, uh, you know, a lot of schools have been forced to 
to take on or go in, or go in directions that are more creative, um, more forward thinking, if I may call it forward thinking. And, you know, it's, it's like you said, Bart, it's an opportunity for us to think about pandemic or not, ed- the way we're educating our children and the way our, our children are interfacing with the communities around them. And hopefully we take those lessons and, you know, we, we right. can look at some of these different things that are going on, you know, at, at the Bog School of Waldorf, Detroit, Detroit community. I'm sure there's some, you know, uh, some amazing things going on. I've heard at uh, Martin Luther King as well, um, online and offline, you know, we're, we're, we're seeking new and different directions and that's uh, making us reassess we were educating our children in general. In engaging with some of these, like the pavilion project and these things with, you know, seeking what community would need or would like and what would be most beneficial, are the young people from the makerspace able to participate in these planning activities or these ideas? Um, are I know that they were able to meet even on Saturdays during the school year with that space kind of in conjunction with the time in school. Are they... Is it possible, you know, outside of the virtual realm to engage with young people in some of these, you know, future-based Oh, yeah, projects? Totally. So that our community partners are aware that we want to work together, and we pretty much go, got the go-ahead to do that. And <clears throat> there'll be a point that when we do come together, we can invite them to come over here, um, or obviously we will all be going out into the community to see where we're going to build the platforms or whatever these units mm-hmm. be contained on. Uh, so our the intention really is to involve everyone in this, community members from the different neighborhoods in Brightmore and our youth as well. It, it really needs to be a, a mutually shared uh, endeavor. Now, I've been hearing about also the... Uh... You guys have brought back the, I mean, the wood signs never went away, but I've I've been told that, uh, you know, one of our meetings, a couple of people have talked about the work in Brightmar going on around new signage going up in conjunction with certain raised beds uh, around or, or, or uh, organic farming communities in uh, Brightmore. Is that a new project? Well, what, one of the things that we're doing, I, I'm not aware of this particular project in Brightmore, but we do. I am offering a program at the moment for any community member who would like to participate. This could be Brightmore. It could be staff of the trade community or whatever, but it's called Brightmore Be Healed, Words so, yeah. of Inspiration, Woodworking Project for to learn basic uh and to make hand chiseled signage, but finding words of inspiration to uplift the community. And they can either be put outside in the community or a person can put them in their window or whatever. As far as, as, far as accessibility or, or the opportunity to participate, that's, that, that's for members of community, uh, the Brightmore community, as well as the students at the school. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this, mm-hmm. is, this is open, open to that's everyone. Great. And we've actually started now, too, to uh, bring other youth into the program who maybe not necessarily go to Detroit Community High School. So we're incorporating them as well. I guess this is another signal of the times that, you know, we cannot be, no matter what, we cannot be exclusive. I do want to point out the other, uh, one of our other difficulties at the moment And that is that some grants that the Sunbridge International Collaborative, that's our nonprofit, would be eligible for in the community. These are local grants. Um, (coughs) When we've gone to to apply for them, we found out, yeah, well, um, great. We're happy you're doing this, but uh, we're only funding online programming at the moment. Yeah. So. So. yeah. So the makerspace, mm-hmm. as you guys have, um, as you, mm-hmm. as you guys are uh, progressing with it now, there's not really, there's not so much of an online element to it. We're, we're trying to keep it out in the, out in, the, uh, trying to keep the kids coming together in space. Since there are so many unknowns, uh, what are some of the like grander ideas or plans for you know Detroit Community High School and in those spaces looking into next year? And you know, I'm sure that there are multi pronged ideas about what you know multiple potential scenarios but where are you feeling positive and where are you feeling like some of the more 
trepidatious situations are? I'm pretty much always feeling positive, no, no matter. <laughs> but um, I do want to say that, uh, you know, we have um, we've just acquired, and this is through the Sunbridge International Collaborative, nine vacant lots directly across from the makerspace. And that um, we've gone through the process and, you know, signed the deeds with uh, the Detroit Land Bank Authority. So uh, those nine lots really represent a much broader vision of building a maker village, if you will, because one aspect of our construction program, you know, moving sort of from high-end dog houses to garden sheds and ultimately towards um, building micro homes and potentially having a village out here on those nine lots, a small little village. And a lot of that thinking is directed toward the young people around 24 or so who are out of school, still looking for something. Uh, they come by and uh, make her work and so on. What work we're able to hustle is a secondary source of income. So really, let's continue to build this community. The idea is building community, not only uh, in Detroit and throughout our neighborhood, but even to a broader extent as well. So we have some very strong connections with a group from California and Chicago and for the last yearly, they've been running a conference called How We Will Conference. And that's how we will. <laughs> and uh, we plan to work with them this summer and actually offer the How We Will Conference here at the Brightmore Makerspace. And this would bring young people of all persuasions and races, if you will, uh, to work together in partnership to do special projects here in Brightmore during the summer by learning and working together. So those are some of the big plans at the moment. And in, in the meantime, as we work toward the installation of these three uh, pavilions, which involves both the bikes and the building program, we're going to be, I guess you could say, pre-constructing the pavilion siding and so on right here in the maker space during the, well, we started now fall and winter months. And I imagine getting those out into the community during the spring and summer, probably be our timeline. Yeah, so we're um, interested in connecting uh, with anyone and really finding ways to work together. Amas, we're we, we gonna jump in with another question. I'm interested. I think that I really would like to follow up when you're saying like at the, the Maker's Village, you know, housing, what that looks like. Conversations I've been having with even my contemporaries about uh, ownership of their space. What does it mean to have a home, to own one's land and to create that and how, you know, that is becoming increasingly more scarce. Um, and so following that idea and the work that you're doing in, in creating you know, what does that look like to have a village, you know, literally building community in the most real sense, right. following that and, 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 and engaging with that. I think there's a lot that I'm interested in seeing how that plays out and how young people now are engaging and seeing that and, you know, where self-sustainability can go in the future, because a lot of what what success and these ideas of what it means to to be successful and to grow yeah, and yeah, prosper. That concept is amazing. As we talk about, you know, completely turned on their head. It's, it's amazing to think about, so, you know, yeah. well, let's just start and build one, what we think it might look like, and maybe we can replicate that, you know, throughout the throughout the neighborhood structure that we're, you know, we're 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 dealing with now, where we don't have as many spaces in which to, you know, convene and and pass on knowledge and um, and uh, and work together. I think sounds like it's the main one of the main facets of, of the village concept you guys are putting together yeah and uh, i mean the the other side of this is of course mm -hmm. the, and there has mm -hmm. been for a very long time a housing crisis in detroit and mm -hmm. we know mm -hmm. that the stress and strain of that is probably going to get even greater i was um, talking with maureen taylor yesterday michigan welfare human rights organization and she basically said, you know, people cannot, I mean, 
Detroit is now made up of renters, primarily renters. And you can't get anything for under $1,000. And given the income situation with so many families at the moment, you know, what are we going to do, right? So something that comes right back into our hands as well to create the imagination to... We want to thank you for joining us, Bart, and taking your energy and keeping us up to date on this story. And um, we're really, yeah, thank you. really looking forward to the next time we get to, to visit uh, visit the school and um, the makerspace, which it sounds like is expanding greatly even throughout these uh, times when we're moving a little bit uh, more timidly. And just thank you again for your, for your strength and vision throughout this, uh, throughout this difficult year of 2020. Well, thank you very much. Really enjoyed mm-hmm. talking with you both. It's always good to hear someone who is maintaining positivity in this year. That's always a, a wonderful thing to hear. We, I feel like we are inundated with the opposite um, so often that it's always good to hear that there are people navigating it with grace and poise. <laughs> thank you. This is Eric Campbell from Riverwise Magazine. We want to thank you for listening to the Riverwise podcast. As we navigate these challenging times of collective mourning, protest, and transformation, we're grateful to be part of a vital network of community-based media. And your continued support is vital. So we just want to take a minute and recognize the people keeping the Riverwise podcast project afloat. These people include the Riverwise Collective, the James and Grace Lee Boggs Center to Nurture Community Leadership, Kari Frazier and the Detroit is Different Network, Heidi Osgood, Lorio West, Valerie Jean, Reverend Joan Ross for her inspiration at WNUC Community Radio. We want to thank Sterling Tolls for his musical contributions to the Riverwise podcast. We want to thank the Detroit Journalism Engagement Fund for their continued support of Riverwise since 2018 through the Community Foundation for Southeast Michigan. And finally, we want to thank the people listening, building community, nurturing community, self-reliance throughout the city of Detroit. And with your help, we'll continue to share our stories of self-determination throughout the city and beyond, throughout the year 2021 and beyond. Please reach out to us. Send us your stories, your letters, your poems, your photos, your thoughts at RiverWiseDetroit at gmail.com or visit the website www.RiverWiseDetroit.org. Thank you so much for listening. Peace.